Welcome to It Can Be Said. My name is Will Calling, and we have a blockbuster show, a second show of the week. We're going to talk about the Tory party, the Labour party, Vladimir Putin. We're going to go up in ascending order of electoral success this week. <laughs> we see you there, Vlad. Who, 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 who knew that machine guns were essential to a successful get-out-the-vote campaign? Somebody else who knows all about machine guns is Dr. Luke Middup. How are you hey, saying, very, very, very smooth, Will. Very smooth. <laughs> how how are you been, Luke? Is it is it nice and toasty in Scotland at the moment? No, you know what? Actually, it's bloody freezing. I had I had the heat I had the heating on yesterday. Although I did the very sensible thing, and I hope you guys have done the same. I made sure and gave a meter reading today. Oh, I forgot to do that. Yeah, I, if anybody I, if anybody hasn't done that, go and do it now because the prices go up at midnight. But but I'm doing the podcast. Well, we can pause it if you like. No, I can't be asked. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I I've also forgot to pay my my energy bill. So, <laughs> hey, Marge, I can buy you all the things you all the things you deserve, although they will be quickly repossessed. I see, you know, my version of that with Vimby was, I can buy you all the things you, you deserve, and I will. And then long after you've divorced me, I'll be paying them long into my 30s. I'm pretty sure that's a country and western song, isn't it? <laughs> it probably is. Talking <laughs> of country and western, somebody who has pilfered the great, the great classics of western civilization from his own workplace is Sam and Alvey. Ooh, have we lost Simon? Have we lost? Oh, we we have lost Simon. He's back. You missed as Simon re- reconnects reconnects to the audio. Simon, you missed a brilliant link to you. But how are you? How am I? How am I? Yes. Uh, so well, um, talk talk of energy bills. I I get to do like like sort of mixture of smugness and the perverse incentives of universal benefits. Um, because um, I got an email from my uh, my energy supplier, who um, for legal for legal reasons aren't a nationalised company, but by in any any standard thing are. Um, so I'm I was a bulb. I am still a bulb customer. Um, yeah. Um, who told me that because of my relatively low energy usage, and also because of the nature of the way that they are doing the energy bailout, I'm not going to pay an energy bill for the next 12 months. Wow! Oh, you know what? I I really should do a meter read, because I don't do them because I'm lazy. But, like, I I actually like... like, I I think most people I know, as children, had arguments with their dads who wanted the, the heating to be turned off. Whereas they wanted more heat, is that is that your guys' recollection of how things were? Uh, except except that the person I was arguing with was my mum. Yeah, pretty much. So like my dad will literally have the heating on all day in 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 my parents' house because he wants to walk in to a warm house. No, obviously he's a butcher, so like his entire day. Is like working in a really cold, you know, <laughs> cold, cold, cold building dominated by fridges. 
So like his one like his one luxury in life is this that is that his house will be toasty warm. And I mean warm, like you know, temperature on like 40. Um so like it would be like when I lived at my parents, like deepest November, and I'd have my windows open. So like yeah, I I really should do meter readings because like I I've not had my heating on yet this year. Well, so I, I mean, this is basically um and 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 because th- I, this can be more than just me feeling smug, but so so in sh- in short, my energy bills have been about forty three pound a month for the last couple of months, which is significantly up on where they used to be at, at around twenty five twenty six pound a month. Now the reason that my energy bills are you know, that level, rather than the sort of levels that people get have been talking about, is that my flat is very well insulated, which means I don't remember the last time I put my heating on. I didn't, I have certainly haven't put it on in 2022. I don't, I think if I put it on once in 2021, that will be a surprise. You know, I just don't put my heating on. It's not in a kind of like Ebenezer Scrooge way. Um, and to and as I, I sort of said to people, I, I was slightly worried when, you know, you know, I say, well, oh, maybe I'm maybe I'm living in some icebox. But no, other people have been around. And it is. It's just you don't need to put the heating on. And that means that I've been contributing about 35 quid a month in my direct debit because of the way bulb, because of the unique way the bulbs system works. Um, and they cut my and they, they said you should be paying less. You should be paying a pound a month, which is their minimum for, you know legal reasons or whatever um and when i phoned them up and went you know in some ways i'd rather be paying something to make sure i don't kind of get so i've got some financial headroom they were oh i mean you can top up if you want to you know that we have a facility for that but we've count we've calculated that you won't need because of the way the government the way the government's um energy um sort of refund essentially is working um, you're not going to need to pay more than a pound a month until next September. So, you know, really? and but the reason for that to make it's not to make sure this isn't just you know me sort of smugly looking at people who I know are going to struggle over the winter um, is is very simple. Um, my windows are at least double, if not triple, glazed. They are the flat is clearly well insulated. It's in a block with other people, other buildings. So it you know so we can so, so that resources and heating is shared um you know the people who were talking about the importance and value of you know insulation proper triple glazing that needs to be the net that needs i think that needs to be in the next labor manifesto because it's a it's a win-win and win really you know it would get people it would get it would get people work working in play if there are where where there's you know where there's any problems with that i know that's not the sort of core problem with the economy but you know it would it would get people doing something useful. It would see, see, see this is this is all very interesting, Simon. And like it would have lots of practical benefits. But isn't this just a bunch of green crap from tree huggers um that should be rejected and uh discouraged because it makes us feel like we're not living in the nineteen nineties? Well, this is the thing, isn't it? I mean, the, 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 this is this is one of the reasons I think and we'll get on to this, like why the, this Conservative Party, I think, aren't doing well, because I think if you talk about because a lot of these environment, a lot of people talk about, you know, there's a sort of belief somehow that net zero is, is hated only whereas about three quarters of people believe that basically the Conservative government is making the economy worse. 
by a recent serve, you know, and driving up, you know, making their like personal economy worse. Only thirty-seven percent of people think that env- that that environmental measures are doing the same thing. Um, most people, like you know, they want to maintain their standard of living. That's always the case, you know. And it's some, there's some really difficult stuff that's going to be really hard to do about persuading people to change their cars, persuading people to make, you know, if people feel they're having, they're losing out. But the idea of saying to people, hey, you you can have, you know, the same warm house without you know having your electric having your you know electric heaters or or central heating system on all through the winter and it'll save you a load of money it means you know it'll cut down our 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 carbon emissions and of course it takes money out of the pocket of vladimir putin but that's the sort of thing that loads of people want to do and the fact that the government you know they haven't kind of thought this through you know that the energy package, and I'm sure we'll talk, we will, because I want to talk about um, Liz Truss's incredible uh, media, local media round this week. Um, I have thoughts, let's put it that way. I have lis- I've listened to all of them because... Well, well, I- before, before you talk about everyone's talking on Twitter, I would like to talk about the real issues that matter, such as double glazing. Because, just a question for you, Simon, and you, Luke. Do either of you guys remember when, like, a house you stayed in a lot got double glazing for the first time? No, my my house, my parents' house never got double glazing. You've never had it? No, we weren't allowed it. Oh, why, why not? Well, the house I grew up in was a grade two listed building. You've never mentioned this before. Why was it a grade two listed building? You just... I, I'm sure I'm, I must. I maybe didn't. I maybe haven't mentioned this on the podcast. You've, ne- you've never mentioned. I, this is the type of thing I would remember if you told me. I think I mentioned it online. Yeah, my house is a grade two. My the house I grew up in is a grade two listed building, basically because it's very, 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 very old. And let me just point out how old. Part of it is mentioned in the Doomsday Book. What? That is very impressive. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it, it had been in it, the house I grew up in had been in my family for. Okay, I need to go back and explain my family history a bit for this to make sense. The Midups and the Fosters had always been, have always been farmers and landowners, but the. The success with which they did that has varied massively over time. And I had a great, great, great granddad on my grandma's, on my mum's mum's side of the family, um, who basically managed to acquire most of the arable land between Mansfield and Nottingham. Now, if you know the geography of the East Midlands, that's a lot of our... Yeah, that's quite, that's quite a lot. <laughs> like Mansfield's almost in Derbyshire, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah. Well, he, I think I'm probably exaggerating when I say almost all, but a large chunk of it. And he was a very successful farmer, grain merchant. And then his son basically blew it on blew it all on wine women and amateur dramatics. Ah, uh, there's a man more to my tastes. Yeah. <laughs> and so what was the house I grew up in and the land that formed my dad's farm, my granddad's farm 
was what was left of that, basically. Um, and so the minutes, minutes this, of the this, this explains why you're a fiscal conservative. Yeah, it does. It really does. Um, so, like, the house was in the was in my grandma's family for for decades and decades and decades, but it had actually fallen into into disrepair. It was actually just used as farm buildings and. Um, and you know, my my grandparents and their parents lived in other places close by Woodborough, which is the village I grew up in. And so that house, those two houses, um, it was actually because my parents never had a mortgage till uh, till we moved in two thousand and fourteen, because the house was actually given to them as a wedding present. Um, and my granddad, because it's, it's a semi-detached, it's a semi-detached house standing by itself. But the left-hand side house was my parents, and the right-hand side was my grandparents. So in the seventies, my granddad used a load of money that they they'd saved to basically make to basically turn what had become two barns back into two houses. But there's a lo- there was a load of stuff in there that had been. Yeah, the, the, you could. There are like beams in there that apparently went all the way back to, like the the, you know, there are beams in there that were literally that were literally, um, sort of from, I think uh, the family legend said they were from Tudor times, but I'm not sure whether that's true, or whether that was just made up. That's awesome. No, no, yeah. you, you you definitely never mentioned that to me, but yeah, that's awesome. No, I haven't. No, I haven't heard that song before. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I think, yeah, okay, yeah. there are obviously a few cases. I, mean, I, I, I basically don't. I think I kind of think we should put probably double glaze those houses as well. But you but, see, I've become... but just 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 to just to finish the story, because you talk about heating. I was in my room as a kid. Was like a little box room that had been that had actually been added onto the house, and it was so cold in there in the morning. That there was generally most days in the winter there was frost on the inside of the window. Actually, see, this this is a point I was going to make because yeah. I <coughs> I had my own room at my nan's house. Um, grandma for our southern li- listeners. Yeah. Um. Um. And f- for most of the time didn't have double glazing and you would have that you would have the frost coming in on the inside and i remember when the count because she lived in the council house when the council came and double glazed the entirety of her street because she obviously lived in a council estate yeah and he, like it really does make a difference like like just to talk to simon's point like it doesn't it like it sounds like the most boring thing in the world we should double glaze everyone's houses but it's like really important. It really does make a difference if your windows are double glazed in terms of the ability to trap heat. Um, you yeah. know, like I, I would go further and say, like, we really should be encouraging people. Like, I know it's Ponzi. I know people who have done it for like the past five, ten years are annoying. But at this point in time, there's really no excuse for everybody uh, not to have solar panels on their house. Yeah, because you know it just means that actually for a lot of the time, people can be self-sufficient with their energy. So yeah, I mean, I think again, I think there needs to be proper subsidies of that because it isn't 
you know, it is, it's a big, it's, it's a classic, it's the classic problem of a big initial capital outlay. And it does take quite a, several years, quite a few years to pay itself back. But, you know, all of these things, because I think this is where the kind of, both parties have done quite badly in different ways. Like Starmer did, I mean, in the both, neither party has kind of gone, Okay, let's let's park the global warming thing for a second. We know global warming is important, but we also know it's not the thing you're talking about right now. Let me tell you how I can cut your energy bills and annoy Vladimir Putin at the same time. Oh, and also added benefit. Hopefully we might have a chance of saving ourselves from constant 40 degree summers. And it's weird to me that we haven't, I mean, Starmer did it a bit because he talked about going to a bunch of properly insulated houses in, I think, Kirklees around conference. So he did mention it. And that's the thing, the difference as well between the conservative sort of energy pledge and the Labour one, because the conservative energy pledge is give people a load of money. And like that is necessary. It is needed for people. Yeah, it, it, it will It will change, you know, energy from being, a significant expense in many people's cases to a totally, you know, from a totally unmanageable one. And that's, that's not to be sniffed at, but the labor one is like, well, we are, we're going to do that, but we're also going to find longer term solutions to this problem, which is about, you know, investing properly in renewable energy. I literally, um, going around Twitter literally as we speak is Ben, uh, is the MP for Bassett law. Who's, who's, he's not in so I can't remember. Exactly. Anyway, uh, yeah. Um, whether Bassett Law is in Nottinghamshire or Derbyshire is a sore point, but yes. Okay, certainly the East Midlands. Um, yeah. But he's 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 put a picture up on Twitter of him standing in front of some very brown and depressing looking field um, going, I'm really pleased to say that we've uh, saved this extremely mediocre looking field from, from hosting a solar farm. And you're like, if you're not... If there's no if there's no substance to this, if there's no attempt to actually like build homegrown energy to, you know, try and find cheaper solutions to this problem, it it may it, this may get this may you know we we all hope and pray that the war in Ukraine you know doesn't last too long, but with the best of something else will something else always comes along, and so trying to actually defend trying to actually you know make your energy supply you know your own and more successful and at the same time not necessarily not and also ensure hoping that maybe we might have a planet to pass on to our kids it's pretty good it's pretty good set of policies well actually seeing as soon as we've gone there um Yo, do you been... want to talk about the, the labor's new green energy company luke yeah because I think that was like the the well we might talk we might talk about Rupert Hook later, but I think I haven't watched Keir Starmer's conference speech, but the one interesting thing that came out of it was this um, pledge to create, and I really think they need to workshop the name like a great British energy like GB Energy. I think this is the thing. By the way, this is slightly off topic, but I think Labour's decided that the way to get over the whole. Romaniacs, um, not not patriotic, you know, to show that they're, they're in touch with working class people. It's just to add Great British in front of everything. To be fair, <laughs> this is kind of what I mean. People forget this, but like they didn't 
carry it on, but like New Labour did do this. Yeah, New Labour did quite a bit. Like they literally had like a bulldog with a Union Jack in like a party political broadcast at one point. Like it was, it was pretty heavy handed. (laughs) And it was, and that was also that was not that that was during I think the ninety seven campaign. You know, it was, you know, it was very much in there. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so the, the big pledge to come out of this was. Yeah, we're going to create a sing. We're going to create a nationally owned energy company, a nationalised energy company um, that's going to do great things with renewables. It's only going to make us a renewable energy superpower. I'm not quite sure what that means, but I think I think it's the the reason I find this interesting is I think it's it's indicative of sort of a broad. I was going to say Starmerism, but I think that's probably giving it too much coherence. It, but it's it's indicative of where Keir Starmer's head is at. Um, like I saw a lot of people, I saw a lot of people, a lot of commentators make the point that you know you might expect him to sort of ape Tony Blair, but the the Labour leader he's closest to in style and rhetoric is Harold Wilson. An early Harold Wilson, like the white heat of technology, the white heat of technology and managerialism, and sort of higher economic growth through yeah, higher economic growth through government investment, and that's actually not surprising when you consider, uh, you know, Keir Starmer's career is, has been in the public sector and as director of public prosecutions. Well, no, wait, 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 wait. It's, it's, wait, wait, it's not been in the public sector. He was director of public prosecutions, but before that, he was a lawyer. Yeah, but the point is, he's a lawyer. The large part of it was a lawyer working for the government in most cases. No. Okay. No, because he, um, he, he, he had his own chambers he set up. Because that, 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 that was the whole pitch of his... Um, for, for the Labour leadership, wasn't it? Like he'd actually won all these cases against the government. And then what happened is when New Labour took over, then they started getting him to do stuff, and then he got the DPP job. But actually, Starmer, when he started his career, would not have been the type of guy to think he'd work for the government because he was a radical lawyer. Okay, the, reason, but- the reason why I think it makes sense, he's a bit like Wilson is actually, if this period of, of, of conservative governance ends um, in 2024, 2025, um, it will start to look a bit like that 50s, 60s period where, you know, like it, it, you know, it inherited a bit of a mess from Labour, although one that put, you know, made some real strides on like addressing poverty and improving welfare. It had really focused on, on trying to inject dynamism into the economy whilst leaving a lot of the kind of basically picking its battles in terms of what it tried to unpick from the from the previous Labour government. And then it tried to basically dash for growth at the end, as as this government is doing now. So like I, I I think I think you know when when Tony Blair was kind of on his way in, he was having to kind of work out what he would accept from a very ideologically clear Conservative Party 
that had won the argument in inverted commas. I don't think anybody thought the Conservative Party was having an argument in the 50s and 60s. And that meant Wilson could just say, I will be more managerial, I will plan better, I will deliver better than the aristocratic goobers who have been running the country beforehand. So I think that's why, because I agree with you, it is like the, the Wilson comparison I think has been made for a while, but I think it's came more into close relief now. But I think it's because actually this Conservative Party feels a bit more like the 50s, 60s vintage in terms, yeah, of, in terms a, of Thatcherism. I think there's a, I think there's a lot of truth in that. But I think I I, I I take what you're saying and I stand corrected. But the point is Starmer was DPP. He has managed a large organization in the public sector. And you can tell you can tell that this that this is not somebody this is not somebody with a Blairite Mandelson-esque skepticism of big government. And um and this idea of a nationalised energy company, I think it's it's paradigmatic of the kind of problems that Starmer uh, government would face because actually, you might be surprised at this, but actually I don't have any great ideological problem with a nationalised energy company, with a uh, publicly owned energy company. But as with sort of the nationalisations that Jeremy Corbyn was proposing, what Starmer didn't do in that speech, or what I've not seen him lay out, is what is the purpose of of creating a public um, utility like this? Ah, see now, ah, see, this, this is a mistake you made, Luke. It's not a utility company. This this is where Labour wasn't clear what they were talking. Because I was thinking this. This is a bit. This is a bit weird. What are they talking about? <laughs> It's an energy generation company. Okay. So it's not who we buy energy for. So it's it's because it sounded like it was going to be like a almost like you know what the Americans talk about with healthcare, like a public option. So we're not going to nationalize healthcare, but there's going to be a government-run competitor that can be like the seller of last resource effectively. It's not that. The idea is. Labour would give some seed capital to a nationalised company that can make investments in green energy that the market won't. So that's that's the idea. Okay. Now, now the interesting thing is green includes nuclear. Yeah. Well, I still, I still think that the points I was going to make, I still think that the points I was going to make stand, which is even if that is the case, what's the what's the overall purpose of it? Is the overall purpose of it to re, to reduce prices to consumers? Is it to boost um, the production of the production of green energy, however you define green? Is it about is it about is it about security of is it about security of supply? Well, I, I this this thing like I think when you realise it's it's a generation company they're talking about, it becomes clearer. It's it's about boosting supply. And the fact that nuclear's in in include it, because like nuclear probably can't be done by um 
by the by the private market. It's just too expensive to do. So I, I think it is about actually there isn't the private capital to do uh to to expand green energy supplies to the extent that we would like. Because this is this is one of the things like I was I was talking to a friend of mine last week about this. One of the things people have to realize this is actually the part of decarbonization is massively expanded how much energy electricity we consume. Yeah. Because there's going to be all these things at the moment are powered by petrol or various forms of oil that will, will have to actually run off the ele- the electricity grid. Yeah, and I mean actually I mean actually there's, there's another issue there which is a lot of battery technology requires, you know, a lot of use of rare earth metals. So it's actually yeah. debate it's actually debatable whether or not in the balance this is actually better for the environment or it's a wash or it might even under i've even seen certain scenarios that argue it's actually worse for the environment than using um internal combustion engines and i think I, th- I think there those studies are more about when you'd have was like batteries that weren't being used very often basically if you use the battery it will be better but I, I just just returning just returning to the point I was making a minute ago because I still th- I, I, I I'm glad that I'm glad that you clarified I'm glad that you clarified that well but I still th- I still think that nationalization is okay provided that you're clear what the purpose of it is and the thing is the way Starmer was talking about it he was talking about it in terms of reducing costs to customers which might be the politically smart thing to do. But actually, if it is what you're describing, if that is what they're intending to do, the odds are that actually won't reduce re- the odds are that won't reduce retail prices to customers much if at all. Um, it, 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 or, it, it, or unless unless you're you're unless you're permanently planning to run it on like non-commercial terms and like massively subsidise it out of tax and then i do have a problem with it well also the the, the eu would have a problem with it because they would break the terms of the withdrawal agreement um uh well no the 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 trade deal um no like i think the idea is 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 think of it at because i'm sure this is one of the things they're comparing it to think of it as what obama did with some of the investments they made in the um (laughs) stimulus package back in 2008 you know so 2009 you know you make these investments in green energy there is an upfront cost um, that expands supply because of that expansion of supply um, you support technological advancements that ultimately make the energy bills uh, uh, lower so I, I think it makes logical sense the one that I was no, no, is- but, well hang on hang on because you you've just said rightly that that like the 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 amount of electricity we're going to use in the next 20 30 years is going to go up so what you're really looking for is like the the per unit cost of generation also i i, I slightly disagree in the same way that that like we talked about the mini budget the quasi budget on tuesday sort of um fighting the economy they want rather than the economy they've got the fact is most the fact is certainly solar and wind power 
it doesn't require much subsidy anymore. It, it is it is a mature technology that, that is competitive per unit of energy generated with any other form of with any other form of energy generation. These are not emergent technologies anymore. I think so so I think the argument would be again you have uh um Again, you have nuclear, which isn't that isn't the case. You again have the question of what other no, can you go further? The industrial uses because solar things like solar and wind they work well for domestic use, they haven't been able to get to the voltages required for a lot of industrial usages. I think, and like, yeah, but again, maybe maybe we're just reading different people. But from what I understand, that's probably why you need nuclear in the mix because yes. they're probably not they're probably not for a very long time. No, no, I, I think I think there's a lot of high voltages. I, they, I, well, I think the other thing they they are talking about is geothermal, which is not which is an emerging technology, and there is some belief that geothermal may be a go in the UK. <sighs> Um, and that does need investment. I, I think fundamentally, I mean, I'm going to be, I'm conscious me and you've been talking, so I'm going to bring Simon in a second. I, 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 like, I don't have your issues with this because no, I think they're talking about like eight billion. Eight billion's not that very much. So, like, to me, I think well, I mean, if, if that's the, if that's the seed capital they're talking about, they may as well not bother, particularly around nuclear. They're going to need wait. They're going to need much more money than that. I think the bigger issues, like I think Labour also made an announcement about trying to establish a sovereign wealth fund. And like, I just, I don't understand why this is like an obsession of both the American and the British left. The reason why Norway has a sovereign wealth fund, the reason why any major oil producer nation has a sovereign wealth fund, except America, because America's big, and us, because we were stupid, is that um is that um the danger of oil is is dutch is dutch elm disease like no not dutch cost disease that basically your it warps your economy you become completely focused dependent and vulnerable to what happens with oil so the sensible thing to do is to take the money you earn from oil put it into a fund so you can diversify your asset base and uh, because obviously oil is a fungible uh, commodity, it won't it won't be there forever. Um, the government now, our government funded through taxation, does not need an investment vehicle to diversify its funding sources. It is literally earning money by taxing everything that goes on in the economy. Um, it just needs to make good decisions. There is no benefit to creating these Mickey Mouse um, quangos to handle its investments. That's just, you know, it's not understanding why the Norwegians did that. It's not understanding why it probably would have been better for us to do it um, in 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 the uh, in the eighties. Um, your thoughts, Simon? Um, I I think that. I mean, it's all, it's all very interesting. I hadn't sort of, yeah. You know, I saw the headline. I have no. Pro- I, I I've given up 
you know, I've accepted that they're never going to agree. You know, I'm unusual in terms of my queasiness about patriotism. So I've no, I've no problem with, you know, plastering uh, Union Jacks or everything and giving it slightly silly names. Fine, whatever. Um, in terms of the, in terms of sort of doing this, it feels to me, if it is only 8 billion, you're right. Like that is, that, that, that'll buy, that'll buy you, you know, some spare parts for a nuclear power station, pretty much. Um, it feels to me more like, um, you know, it's, it's almost like a push in the right direction to say to business, you know, it's almost trying to build confidence in those sectors. I think that's probably not needed for, as you say, for wind or solar. All you've got to do is basically, you know, do the bit of the, the bit of the, um, the bit of the mini budget that I do like, which is the, you know, reopening opportunities to put a field onshore wind and, and all of those kind of things. Um, you know, and if, if they do, if they do that, um, then I, then I'll, then that's really good. If it's, if it's part of a broader, you know, we are going to be building infrastructure and we're going to be do actually doing stuff. And part of that is about providing some seed capital just to get some stuff off the ground. Then I'm cock a hoop, frankly. Um, but we will, you know, that, that, that I'm, other than that, I'm, I, I don't get too stressed about it. I don't, in terms of a sovereign wealth fund, that seems sensible to me. You know, we, we, you know, we decided to fritter away North Sea oil, which, although we never had as much of it as the Norwegians. And obviously we always had a much larger population. Um, you know, but, but, ironic... but why is a sovereign wealth fund sensible, Simon? What is the point of it? No, no, I'm saying I don't think, no, I'm not, sorry, I, I, I must have misspoken. No, said... I don't... It might have been sense. I'm saying it might have been sensible in oh. 1972, but I don't think it's sensible in 2022. Yes. Um, you know, because I think, you know, yeah, yeah, because you're right. Like, and even that, I mean, I think if, if, and I mean, I can hear, and Luke will sort of shiver, not just from the cold. Um, it means saying if Scotland had been independent in the 1970s, the Sovereign Wealth Fund would have made even more sense because, you know, one of the you know reasons that that Norwegian Sovereign Wealth Fund was so important was that Norway was a population with a very similar population, a country with a very similar population to Scotland, both about five million. Um, and so therefore they you ended up with a lot of money, whereas, you know, divert, diluting that into the wider exchequer meant it didn't do as much, although it basically kept Mrs. Thatcher going for three or for a couple of years, you know, um, which, you know, people like Liz Truss don't like to talk about, but we are where we are. Um, but no, I, I think that was, yeah, I think there's some interesting ideas. I, it was indicative of that. It, all of this discussion is indicative of the nature of Labour's conference and which is, you know, like, yes, this, this idea is interesting and controversial and we can have a discussion about it. But the reality is the Labour conference did a very good job of that old maxim of don't interrupt your enemy while they're making a mistake. Because they had a conference, you know, it was a, you know, it did what conferences do. It had a, had a theme and, you know, Starmer made a speech, which again, as I talked about before it, you know these his his speeches are <laughs> pardon pardon you um no. you know it, it was a perfectly it was a perfectly adequate conference and i and, and a lot of particularly sort of freelance gossipy journalists would have had a very boring time in liverpool hotel bars not finding anything out which is exactly what labor wanted whilst 
the others on the other side, their opponents were, you know, setting fire to the British economy and their own hair. I, I do like all these journalists who, d- who decided to skip Tory party conference because uh, they've introduced charges, really regretting it and wishing they could go. I mean, yeah, and it's not like the Conservatives are not going to now be going, oh, you, you, you want to get your you want to come now oh that's great please please come along and and report as report as we act as we run around desperately trying to keep our party together but um um so i think you're the own did you watch starmer's speech simon no no i was i i I was i was working in an office um which is be it is literally being knocked down uh which as we know is in the same as i've said before is the same building as labor party hq um so yeah, uh, no, I was I was trying desperately to find somewhere to actually do my job. So no, I didn't. I didn't watch. It. Has your employer ever thought about uh, homeworking? Oh, no, no, no. Believe me, we could have done. Uh, I just I happened to be giving I happened to be giving a training session on Thursday, and I had other reasons. I had reasons. I, I had reasons to be in. Also, I like my colleagues. If I if I work from home, I don't end. I end up not seeing any other human beings for like 24, 36 hours, and. If 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 I do that, I start going a little bit funny, more so. Well, so none of us on this politics podcast have have watched. Come on, I'm interested. I'm interested in politics, but I'm not a weirdo. <laughs> not obsessed. That's the line. Not obsessed. So we will move on from uh, from the Labour Party, but we may be coming back to them uh, later on in the show. No, but actually, for, while we're here, we might as well do the whole thing together. No, 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 because no, 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 Luke, stop. No, because we've got to talk about what the toys I've done before we talk about the polls. Um, uh, um, so um, yes, as we talked about on the on the podcast on Monday. We, you know, the Tory party had a mini budget, a special fiscal operation, as you might want to call it, um, and it didn't go well. And obviously we had the, the two, we had two days of the pound getting battered on the currency exchanges. We then had this really weird thing of the price of government debt being uh, uh, pummeled. That then created issues for the pensions industry because, like, I've read explanations of this so many times, and I think I get it. But basically, pension funds—they're pretty big. They have a diverse range of assets, but all of those assets they don't actually own outright. They they like own a percentage of. Um, no, sorry. Can I? Can I? Because I've. Can I just can I just correct you there? Yeah. It's 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 what it's what's called third it's what's called repo or third party repo. Okay, this is quite difficult to explain in words. It's it's much easier to explain if you can use a diagram. It's Hi, much e- what was that? Oh, sorry. There was just uh, just some noise. Sorry, just some noise from my phone. Apologise. Hey, move on. Okay. Um, it's really easy to explain with a diagram, but quite difficult to explain in words. Basically, a repo. Tra- uh, let's do a simple repo trade. So you've got Party A owns X number of. Uh, Party A wants X amount of cash. 
Party B owns X amount of shares. So Party B agrees that... Yeah, so Party A buys the shares off Party B, raises cash, but agrees to sell the shares back to Party B at, say, three months' time at a fixed price. Now, whether or not... Now, who makes profit on that depends whether those shares or that government debt goes up or down in value in the intervening period. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. And now there's a variant of that called third-party repo. And that introduces Party C. Now, Party C's job is if Party A and Party B think that one of them might go bust in the time it takes for the contract to mature, i.e. in that three-month period, Party C will hold on will hold on to a certain amount of cash or a certain will hold on to a certain amount of cash and a certain amount of shares or government debt or any form of asset backed um, paper. And therefore if party A or party B does go broke, the other party gets a share of what it is owed. And this is where you get the idea of a margin call. A margin call is simply that party C can ask for a bigger share of cash or a bigger share of the underlying asset because the risk of party A or B going bust is seen as being higher than it was when the contract was originally signed. Does that make sense? It does, actually. Yeah. So basically... So basically, it's a matter of risk. The, the board game. <clears throat> Pardon. The board game. <clears throat> kind of, but more like the concept of risk. Oh, um, oh. So, so now, now, tri-party repo played a big role in the two thousand and eight financial crisis. But it's not a thing you can get rid of entirely. And it's not a thing you want to get rid of entirely because it also helps create wealth by spreading... It also helps create value by spreading risk and freeing up freeing up capital, basically. So, after 2008, both in the UK but also sort of globally... There were a lot of rule, there were a lot more rules introduced about the amount of capital or the quality of assets that can be used in a repo trade between banks or between insurance companies. But the one thing that was missing in that um, regulation was pension funds. And the reason for that is pension funds are seen as really say are pension funds are covered by a different set of laws that mean they have to that mean they have to um, basically hold the highest class of assets that is the assets that are least likely to decline in value and that basically means government debt now and this is why what happened on sort of Wednesday Thursday is so weird 
because government debt is considered a very safe asset class, particularly when it's um, when it's government debt issued in the developed world, the OECD club, um, basically. And so, what was ha- what was happening was because British pension funds are stuffed to the gills with British government debt, and um, because the amount that debt is worth is going down. The pension funds are being hammered by their counterparties, that is party B and party C, to this trade to give more cash because the risk of the assets, the pension fund hold being less than their face value has gone up substantially. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm not explaining this. No, no, that, like, I've read so many FD articles trying to understand <laughs> this in my idiot brain, and you you explain that much clearer. I don't know what you think, Simon. Yeah, no, it's very, very impressive. Um, well, it's, almost, it's almost like I teach for a living. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm thinking of? I'm thinking of the Family Guy one when they sent Peter Griffin to Washington. We, you know, we've we've had we've had all these smart guys go and explain it to the politicians, but the politicians in Washington are dumb. We need a dumb guy to explain it. We got you, Luke, a guy who does not know the way the financial markets work, and we needed you to explain it to me and Simon. The guy. Well, if, like, if any of the if any of the listeners. Are uh, like working this kind, working this kind of industry. If I've made a mistake, please let me know. That that's my understanding of it, anyway. I, and also, if you'd like to DM us any tips for any like yeah. stocks, we should <coughs> we should bet on. No, let us know. You know, because like Christmas is coming around. You know, we wanna, you know, we we wanna buy nice things for our, for, our, for our friends and family, or booze. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so basically, the bank. The, so that was creating a doom loop. Because basically what's happening is because of these margin calls being called, um, the pension funds are being told you gotta sell you gotta sell shit because we want more money. And they were selling gilts, which was depressing the value of the gilts, which meant they had to sell which meant more margin calls were being called, which meant they had to sell more gilts, which meant the value of those gilts was falling. Which meant that more margin calls are being called, which meant they had to sell more gilts. No, like basically, you know, it was a boom <coughs> loop. And the danger was is it was going to destroy the entire British pensions industry. And when you consider that, that basically is the Tory, the core Tory vote as well. Although it wasn't the Tories, it was the Bank of England that you know and well, not just that, but like you know, it's millions and millions of people are relying on this stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely, a- absolutely insane. So, so the Bank of England, so like again, like this is how crazy it was on Wednesday. The Bank of England woke up, bushy-eyed, fresh-tailed, planning to sell gilts because they are currently going through quantitative tightening. So, like they are unwinding the quantitative easing that they've been doing since, you know, basically for the most of the past uh, for uh, 14 years. 
by selling some of the government debt they took on after financial crisis and during COVID. And um, they had to reverse course because of this issue, and they have pledged to spend £65 billion on buying guilts to ensure that you don't have this doom loop, you don't have this fire sale. Now, it has to be, you know, it should be stressed. This issue is still there. So, like, I think, I can't remember I read it, but, like, no, pension funds are still finding assets to sell to meet their margin calls. <laughs> it's just being done in a way that's a bit more orderly. You've also had, you know, 40% of all mortgage products in this country have been withdrawn because the banks no longer think they're viable because of the anticipation of higher interest rates. Um, you know, it has been a legitimate shit show that has like real life implications. Because, like, let's, you know, I no, I think some people have said this in a way that implies the Bank of England shouldn't do this, but the Bank of England have just pumped sixty-five billion pounds into the economy. That's what it means. The Bank of England is buying government debt. That is going. That makes inflation worse. So, our beloved Prime Minister and Chancellor decided that they would handle this issue by maybe, maybe not having a stand-up row in Downing Street on Monday and then disappearing for the rest of the week. Uh, Kwasi Kwarteng uh, appeared to Tory MPs on Wednesday and said, don't worry, guys, stay the course. Where did Liz Truss resurface, Simon? Well, so there was... Liz Truss decided... Now, the BBC Newscast podcast, which did one of the great public services in the history of public service broadcasting, um, said, said this was a standard thing that they did, So that, that Conservative leaders always do before their conferences, which is that they do what in a PR term is known as a radio day, i.e. you stick your spokesperson, in this case the Prime Minister, in a radio studio and they basically dial into radio station after radio station and in this case they're all BBC local radio stations so she spoke to BBC Radio Leeds she spoke to BBC Radio Kent she spoke to Radio Lancashire and she spoke to BBC Radio Norfolk among I think she spoke to about 10 BBC local radio stations in in an hour yeah that feels about right because they got about five minutes each so yes. that, that yeah feels... ra ra Radio Nottingham got like a five minute hit as well mm. and I, I got I got a text going the Prime Minister on the radio on. Yeah, and so why, what they clearly what now I I'm not I don't work in the comms operation um, it, at number ten, and when I tell you at the end of this story who does lead up the comms operation at number ten, boy, will you be in for a surprise? But um, the, the comms operation clearly decided, look. This this is going badly, and and communication is not Liz's strong suit. I'm not quite convinced what is her strong suit, but maybe she's really good at jigsaws. Hard to say. But anyway, she's not the best communicator in the world. If we put her in the today on the Today program, having to face um, you know Sarah Montague or Nick Robinson or Justin Webb or whoever else, she'll be kippered. 
let's do five minute controlled interviews with loads of BBC local radio people. And Paul Mason in particular basically went, well, this is going to be a disaster that she's going to have lots of soft spoke so questions. I think he was clearly thinking they were everyone was going to phone in and go, so Prime Minister, what's your favourite local landmark of our lovely local area? And what actually happened was spectacular, which is that all of the BBC local radio presenters went, okay, this is a huge story. I'm actually, I am, I'm not some, you know, corn chewing yokel who's, you know, who, who, who's only heard of London in books. I am a, I'm an experienced broadcaster who is particularly experienced at elucidating my audience's big concerns, big fears. You know, I've been listening to them on phone-in shows for years and years and years, and I'm really good at kind of clarifying exactly their big concerns. I'm going to get five minutes of, of coverage that's going to get picked up nationally because it's the only interview the Prime Minister is doing. In the words of Eminem, I'm going to take my one shot, my one opportunity. And without fail, I would say, every single one of the BBC local radio presenters smashed it. All of them went in in different ways because every broadcaster has a slightly different vibe and went and asked questions that were exactly the kind of questions that and one one of them basically, you know, when she sort of was like, oh, well, we've done what we can to protect the economy. She, they went by increasing borrowing and making it hard to pay our mortgages. And almost, I think in every single one of the interviews that she did, there were incredibly uncomfortable silences. The sort of silences you would give if, you know, you'd accidentally left a younger younger sibling you were meant to be looking after at a play park and they got picked up by the police. I mean, it was an absolute car crash. And my only assumption in terms of the comm strategy is that nobody said to anyone in that team, you know that everyone in the country can listen to BBC local radio stations on BBC Sounds, right? You know that's the thing. So what you had, because... You had five minutes, like if they'd done a 20 minute interview on the state programme, which is what they would have got if they'd done that, the PM could have, would have been able to flannel, would have been able to expand upon her theme and go, well, you know, and the point she was clearly trying to land was, we've got an energy price guarantee, this is going for growth. And she could have expanded on that, she probably would have used invoked Mrs Thatcher more, you know, she could have set it in a context, she could have given a big but it, by giving each of these places five minutes, after about three minutes, which is basically one question, they would go, well, look, we've only got a couple of minutes, Prime Minister. I need a straight answer from you on this question or that question. Or, you know, um, even her, lo her local station in Norfolk, because she's an MP in Norfolk, went, um, yeah, are you going to fix the fact that the, the, the local hospital in King's Lynn is essentially falling down? She was like, and, uh, and then the health secretary, you know, is her deputy, is her closest ally in politics and things. And she just every time had none of these answers. She had been briefed staggeringly badly because the question she was being faced, it was not a sort of unfair or particularly harsh questioning generally. 
it was clear, calm questioning, delivered really successfully, but any well-briefed politician could have, should have had answers, examples. She knew which county she was going into, so she should have been able to say, the energy price guarantee is going to say, I don't know, the average family in Leeds, this amount of money, it's going to do this. She had none of it. She was appallingly badly briefed. It was an absolute car crash. And it and we, we said, oh, you know, there was this massive market event and then amazingly the government went quiet. Well, fine, but all of, during this hour, as clearly the nation's journalists and most importantly, the journalists who were going to be doing the later interviews were all listening into these absolute disasters. So by the time she got to the last interview, which was BBC Radio Bristol, the BBC Radio Bristol guy was going, yeah, yeah, we know this. We've all heard this speech. You've given it seven times before. I'm, I, I want you to answer my question. Because everyone was listening to this, including the financial markets, the financial markets, the pound weakened, the gilt cost went up. It was an absolute disaster. And the person who... who uh, the person who is leading her comms operation, who is in charge of this magnificent achievement, it, his last job before joining Liz Truss's uh, comms team was he was head of comms for Prince Andrew. That is a man who is, <laughs> has one of the most spectacular career, has one of the most impressive CVs I think we're ever going to find. Did, did you not know that? No, I did not know. Oh, that. I'm so pleased one of you didn't know that because it's such a nice little kicker at the end. I mean, you know, you know, you know when you know when he stopped being Prince Andrew's comms director. Will go on. Right after the Emily Maitland interview. To be fair, the reason for that, and I, I mean, I'm not trying to defend him because I think on this one he really has screwed the pooch. Well, it was basically because he went, "Don't do this interview." If you do this interview, it will go horribly badly wrong for all involved. Oh, you've done the interview and it went horribly badly wrong for all involved. <laughs> right. Well, I'm resigning then. I mean, this is really, like, I, I, I'm not. It is, it is usually the person receiving the advice that is at fault if the advice is wrong. Um, either, even if they picked the wrong advisor or they've ignored the advice. I mean,. It's yeah, it's one of these ones where like I I'm not sure these type of radio days make sense. You know, you, you, know, in... you, know, who, you know who was really good at them. Well, yeah, I, like, David Cameron. David Cameron was amazing at this. But I think the thing is, I'm not sure they make sense now for the reason Simon says because yeah. the local stations are just so easily accessible, and so it, it becomes really phony. I think. Actually, they'd be better off doing something closer to what, like, say, Hollywood celebrities do with film uh, 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 interviews, where the interviews are all done at the same time, and then they're filtered out gradually. Because, yeah, it does just lead to this, and like, they they clearly should have been cancelled. It, she was atrocious, like. <laughs> It's like, and I think it goes back to what we were talking about on the podcast on Monday in the sense of she, you know, I've, I can't remember who said it. it. May have been, I think it was Stephen Bush who made this point. She, um, she has more years in the cabinet than Gordon Brown had when he became prime minister. Like she's been, she's been a cabinet minister for a long time. 
But like we said beforehand, it's been these Mickey Mouse roles. And because everybody knows she's not a brilliant media performer, she never got elevated to like Minister for Today program. So like she's just not very good at this stuff. And the long pauses were like, that's like, I mean, you'll know this better than us, Simon, because this is just your line of work. And I suppose you would do it as well, Luke, because you've done some, I think you've done some media training, haven't you? A little bit. A, a, a little, little bit. But yeah, like those Simon's pauses. more fluent on this stuff than I am. But like those pauses she was doing and during her interviews, it's like, that's like the first thing you're told not to do. Like, Obviously, you no, know, we you know we're umming and ah in all the time, which is something they try and drill you out. But 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 like we on this podcast can no not go. Um. Well, the thing is, like that's like how. But somebody... she didn't even do. But she didn't even do that. Like at least if you're going um ah. Uh... So I think the thing is, you know, the bit, you know, all of that stuff, at least you sound like you're thinking through the problem. The, the total silence, the pure silences that she kept doing just made it feel like she'd been caught with her hand in the cookie jar. You know, that she didn't have any, she didn't have any answers and had been, you know, been caught bang to rights. Somebody on Twitter put, I can actually hear the blinks and then put like a, a screenshot of the Ben Swain character from in the, the the thick of it. And it was like I didn't I didn't listen to the whole thing like you did, Simon, but I so I'm only going by second hand, but that's exactly what it sounded like it was. I mean I think I would genuinely that actually um I don't I wouldn't usually advise this. And the other thing I, I advised this with was the Prince Andrew interview because it is so incredibly incompetent, it's really entertaining. But uh, the BBC newscast, in as I say, this incredible act of public service broadcasting, but I think also a, a, a quite a significant dose of revenge, because I think they're pretty pissed off that she's not she's not she didn't do a big interview during the leadership election. She hasn't done a big Radio 4 interview now. Um, was I? They they basically packaged up all of the interviews one by one, back to back to back to back, because you can you can access them all. You could access and you could do this yourself. You could follow her around the country. Um, and it's an it's an enlightening. Ex if anyone would like to know how not to deliver a set of media interviews, it's a very nice example. But also just. I got the feeling that a lot of people in the BBC, well, they can't say it because impartiality, but they were clearly laughing like hyenas as she was quite so spectacularly caught out. Because, But also because I think they genuinely did not expect BBC local journalists to be that good. But no, I think it's interesting because, like, actually, I, I listen to the New Statesman podcast. And they were like, well, actually, this wasn't a surprise it went so badly because actually these local these these local radio interviews can be really tricky. They they actually are quite easy to be caught out on. Oh, and, yeah. to me, and to me, you know, it's I always you know it's the same thing we said about Emily Maitlis countless times. Actually, this maximum aggression is overrated because, you know, it's you know, it's if if you go with a maximum aggression, the politicians have their defences up. 
It's when politicians go in and are a bit complacent, they get into trouble. Um, and and like and if and if the interviewer doesn't seem adversarial, that also means that the listener is more likely to you know sympathise with the interviewer. Mm. But they made a point that one of the mistakes they made was limiting it to five minutes. Because basically it means there's no chance for Waffle. There's no, no chance for her to have answer a few questions to make her seem prime ministerial or to establish her links to the place in question. Because they know, like, look, we've got five minutes. I can't waste the first two minutes on her prattling on about her last visit to the area. I've got to go in for the kill straight away. And that's actually why the interviews were so to the point and brutal, because these five minutes meant you go in hard with the questions you want to ask, no trying to ease the person in. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was an appallingly badly handled from soup to nuts exercise. It's it's genuinely spectacular and if i had a scintilla of sympathy left for liz truss i would have felt it but i don't so there we are i think i think the other thing that struck me was it, it does come back to you know, this government would be in a much better position um if they just had chilled out and waited until after the party conferences and done like a proper budget, um, um, because like it's like the fracking stuff, where she clearly doesn't have answers. She rushed rushed out that announcement without having worked out the details. Because like you know, I, I think it was Lanc- Radio Lancashire, like we're trying to push. No, radio, uh, what, what, what yeah, well, does, it was it was Lancashire, Lancaster. Yeah, what does? Local control mean, and of course, no. I, I, it's not. I, they didn't ex- explicitly say it, but obviously, the implicit point is, um, you know, you could be next door to an area that gives permission for fracking, and that could then affect your water supply, cause earthquakes in your area, and. Liz Truss had no answers. She had no answers about what local control meant. And it's and like... that and that is not. I mean, this this I think. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Sorry to interrupt, Will. But like the classic thing about that is that is not a gotcha question. No, you know, that is a that should be in your like policy briefing of what. And, and if you're going to talk to Lancashire, the only bit of the country where they've done fracking before, and we know it's controversial, where they've had, you know, they played a clip of a Conservative MP who talked about it in Parliament, I think, this week. And so the idea that she wasn't prepared for what I think was a very, was pretty basic stuff is kind of shocking. You never have to apologise to me for inter- for for an interruption, Simon. It's 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 all okay. Interruptions are part of a smooth podcast. Exactly. I think I think you'll find. Uh, what do you think, Luke? Um, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, mate. Um, I think an interesting <laughs> thing as well, Simon, um, was um, was he actually went, 
They actually went to her and said, have you been to the fracking site? And like, she couldn't answer the question. Again, a thing that a, a good, a well-briefed person would have gone, no, I haven't, but I, you know, I've read the reports or I'm planning to come up very soon or I... Sp-. Like, there are several ways of essentially bridging to please ask me something else. And she just couldn't do it. Sorry, Luke, do you want to come in? No, I really don't have anything to add on this. So shall we talk what about... Is, sorry, sorry, before you do that, sorry, sorry, no, genuinely sorry to interrupt you again. But like, um, I think this goes back to... Uh, Rob Hutton has a brilliant line in his uh, sketches, uh, one of his sketches to the critic. This is one of the uh, mini-budget, where he's like, um, you know, Liz Truss had this smug smirk on her face when uh when Quatang announced the um the abolition of the additional rate of tax. I said, No, you didn't see that coming, did you? Ah, ah. Like I, I do think there is an issue with Truss that it does feel like she's high in her own supply. And like I think it comes back to the fact that she's such a poor communicator because like like, look, she's clearly a very awkward person. She's clearly not the smoothest speaker in the world. Um, and, and, and why people like this keep insisting they become politicians, I really don't understand it. Like, David Cameron, Boris Johnson, even someone like Keir Starmer, th- those guys wanting to be politicians, I get, I understand. Someone like Angela Rayner as well. Well, you got people like Theresa May or Liz Truss who like clearly struggle with interpersonal interactions. Why they would impose this hell on themselves where they have to be constantly asked to speak in public, constantly talking, I just don't get. But more than that, she is clearly just no again, like. More and more I think about it, the more and more she reminds me of Jeremy Corbyn. Because the thing with Jeremy Corbyn was, is he had been so used to being in this hermetically sealed bubble that was the far left, that he just didn't know how to talk to people outside it. And like, I don't think Liz Trust does. I think Liz Trust just doesn't understand this fact that actually people don't want all of Lancashire and Yorkshire dug up on some fool errand to get gas out of the of the stone. Yeah, but that, but, sorry, um, but that's really weird because you can understand it with Jeremy Corbyn. You know, he until two thousand and sixteen, he was the most backbench of backbench MPs. But like you said, Will, Liz Truss has been a frontline politician for a long time. But she hasn't been. That's the thing. She's been a cabinet minister for yeah, a but, long but the, time. But the, but the, but the but the point, but the point is, but I guess the point is, she's been a cabinet minister for a long time. That means, at the very least, she must have interacted with a whole bunch of people with different ideological views within the Conservative Party. And fracking is not something that is popular within the Parliamentary Conservative Party. Yeah, <laughs> but I think she just thinks that they're quizlings and idiots. I think she really thought. That there was this groundswell of like people who were desperate for fracking, 
which was like really nonsense. I get, I get where, I get where Corbin could have these these weird ideas because, like you say, it's an echo chamber. But let's trust just by being a cabinet minister. That means you can't entirely be bubbled in an echo chamber. So, I'm not saying you're wrong, Will, because I, I, I think you you are onto something. But what I can't get at is how did this bubble? Yeah. Well, is she is, is she sitting there in cabinet going, "You're wrong, you're wrong." No, you're I, wrong, I, I, I think that's, I think that's exactly what's been happening. I think it's exactly what's been happening, and it's like, like I honestly think. And I mean, if that is the case, what kind of like self confidence bordering on mania must you be possessed of? But I, I honestly think. Um, I could do a better job of defending the budget than she can. And I think it's <laughs> utterly ludicrous. Like, it's, it's loony the, bananas. It's the old football chant, isn't it? If if Listrus, if Listrus can be Prime Minister, so can I. Except um, that, like, it's true. Like, I mean, it, it, it's just, like, it, I, I, <laughs> it feels so much like, I mean, Theresa May is a good comparison, but also Gordon Brown, right? I mean, Brown, Brown is a good, Brown at least could make could occasionally make a good speech. Well, sort of speech I like anyway. But like Gordon Brown was similarly just clearly baffled when he had to speak to other human beings. And it's like, how is it that in a country of what sixty five million people, three of the last five people to take the top job, which is basically just, I'm not trying to just say that my industry is the most important but in many ways it is just a com in many ways being prime minister is a comms job it is about going out there and about leading the country and, and taking people with you and three of the last five people to do the job have been deeply incompetent at this fundamental skill it's See, I quite think, bizarre i think in the thing i'd say in defense of brown is i just think he got old and rigid because like as a young man he was good at this stuff and I don't know whether he just felt he was out of time, or, or like obviously the issues with his eyesight were, re- were were really like hampering him, and he didn't know how to cope. But like like Brown, he was bad at it. Um, but like there was a point where he was good at it, and 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 I and I don't think Brown actually is an introvert. Um. Because he's like he's clearly not like he no like look, Theresa May's not gone on any podcast since she ceased to be prime minister. Brown's gone gone on quite a few. Like there's one thing Brown doesn't mind doing. It's like talking his head off about stuff. And, 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 and that makes him look good. Yeah. Well, true. But like, but even in like an interview format, like, I, yeah, like the fact that he was so bad at the stuff was weird. But yeah, I I I I do I, like. I always thought this about Hillary Clinton. It's like, why are you doing this to yourself? Like, well, I mean, the, I mean, the it's 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 another American example. But the ultimate example of that, the like Nate plus ultra of that, is Richard Nixon. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you, thank you for thinking of a man. I was realised all my examples were women. Yeah. No, what like the, the, the worst you are. Yeah. yeah no, the, the worst example of that is Richard Nixon. You know. A man who was like pathologically shy, <laughs> forcing himself to be this public figure. Um, 
I think you were you saying I think this was from John Rental you were quoting from. But he, I think it was John Rental was making the point that if this market um, turbulence, whatever you want to call it, had happened under Tony Blair or David Cameron, yes. they would have, you know, they would have relished the opportunity to go out in public and explain what was happening. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, John Rental did point that that yeah that Blair and Blair and Blair and Cameron would have relished it, would have just done it. Johnson, uh, <laughs> May, and Brown, they wouldn't have been very thrilled to do it, but they would have done it. Trust going into a bunker. Can't remember, she's going into a bunker. She's not been in there for a month. Like, this is what happens after you've been there for a few years and things are going to go wrong. This is meant to be her honeymoon. <clears throat> um, we, we should... Um, I, I, did anybody well, have... no, it, it's all right, Will, because in a year's time we'll be growing. It will the economy will be growing like will be growing like bamboo, and all this pro- all these problems will just fade into the background. The uh... wake up, Liz. Time for school. The, we, we, um, I have a few thoughts about the mini budget before we move on to like the 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 polling and their plans to get themselves out of this mess. Do, before I go into my points, does anybody else have any fresh thoughts on the mini budgets? Yeah, the, the, it's not really a thought on the a thought on the content. It's just the overall um, the overall um, sort of impact of it. The thing that I keep the thing that I keep coming back to, and I, I'd be really interested if you guys have other examples of this. I can't. I really do struggle to think of an event in politics where the damage has been so self-evidently self-inflicted. So as yeah, but even the, even with Suez, NASA did nationalise the canal. Yeah, but he was going to pay us. No, but you know there were all kinds of issues in the relationship with NASA. You know, from his end. That would lead us to be antagonistic towards it. I guess, but I, I think Suez is a comparison. What do you think, Simon? I mean, I, I can't think of anything like this so blatant. I mean, okay, Suez happened. Eden had been prime minister for about a year, I think, when Suez happened. Because he becomes yeah. Prime Minister in 55. And so it is similarly quite, a, you know, it's an early on thing. But this was the first thing that she did. Yeah. Because, I mean, I think my overall point is that, like, politics doesn't usually work this way. Like, the job of government really is to manage situations. You know, it's the, it's the, it's the Harold Macmillan line, you know, what are you afraid of events, dear boy, events? Government's job really is to ride events and try to make them a little bit better, or at least not make them worse. So, j- just because I, I I want to, I just I I always enjoy this, um, and we'll get on to the polling. But I think it's worth saying when you, what you said about the um, the fact that you know normally this is the thing that uh, politicians do when they have been when they've been in power for a few years and it's all beginning to go a bit wrong. Um, she still has 95 days to go. And if she wants to succeed, exceed 
the shortest serving prime minister in British history. Um, is, it, is, is this now going to be a rolling feature of the podcast? We call it Cunning Watch. Yeah. Yes, it absolutely is, because I find it inherently hilarious. Tell, tell you what, though. If the UK is going to end... Don't, I didn't say the UK was going to end. Well, I, no, but I said if it was. Um, let's say the UK is going to end on the next Prime Minister's Watch. That would mean the longest-serving and first Prime Minister of the UK and the shortest-serving and last Prime Minister of the UK... Both came from Norfolk. Yep, they're the only two prime ministers to represent Norfolk Norfolk constituencies. Um, (laughs) And and, and of course, if presumably, because Therese Coffey is the current uh, deputy prime minister, um, presumably if she was, you know, taken outside by the men in grey suits and, you know, metaphorically shot in the back of the head... um, then presumably, at least as an acting prime minister, we would get the first ever prime minister to represent a Suffolk constituency because uh, Therese Coffey is the member for Suffolk Coastal. Um, oh. yes, so I, 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 for those of you who are bored of this feature, and I feel my two co-hosts are some of those people. No! Um, the, no, the, I, but, but I, feel, I feel we need, like, theme music. do 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 um, watch. Boom. Uh, so <laughs> this, this feature, this feature, we need, we need, we need, need Belody. Hey, hey. is he still alive? I'm feeling very, 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 could be very quiet, ladies and gentlemen, because I just think I've because seen I... a toy prime minister put her foot in a great mound of shit. I, Let, that, let's, that... let's take a look. That very low hum you can hear there, that's the remains of Liz Truss's political career. Um, if if the rain falls when the sun is just at the right height, you can see the laughter curve in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, I can tell you, so this feature will end in one of two ways. Either Liz Truss stops being Prime Minister and this, and this long and this short national nightmare will come to an end. <laughs> or we will pass the key date, which is the 3rd of January 2023, which is the day at which she will have equaled George Canning's unenviable record <laughs> Prime Minister in British history. Before I make my points about the budget, I think they're probably academic anyway. If, if the, the, the polling is atrocious like i had a conference in leeds i um i um uh, i realized that where the conference was was actually around the corner from one of my favorite well one of mine and luke's favorite chain pubs that i have to say luke like this is a bit more rustic than the one in nottingham um so it's not quite the same is it a pub it's a restaurant isn't it did you? What did I say it was? You said it was a pub. It's not a pub. No, I said that. Was, sorry, I said I meant a chain. Yes, but like one of our favorite restaurants. It's a bar, yeah. isn't it? Like it's a it's a chain of restaurants. It's Red Red True Barbecue. They do very good American style barbecue. They uh, uh, they also do delivery. Yeah, you see, the closest ones, they, they do like... Um... No, no, they do it like, it's weird, it's like a mail order. 
Yeah, they, they yeah, deliver they nationwide. You, you can get them like uh, you know, one of these cooking kit things, can't yeah. you? But anyway, so like um I was literally around the corner from there. So I I went to Las Iguanas mm-hmm. as a pit stop, had a few cocktails, buy one get one free, very nice. Then I went to Red Tree Barbecue. So I was having tasty barbecue food and bourbon. Or something, yeah. Because no, I think it came when I was eating my food. And we see these poles drop. We'd seen some big labor leads earlier in the week, like 17, 19%. We then see this Yugov one where labor was 33% ahead of the Tory party. Percentage points, percentage points. So I'm usually the person who does that. In my reports, I, I always put like PP, uh, PPTS rather than percentages when I'm talking about things like that. Uh, that's bad will, bad will. Um, Labour pa- passing the 50% threshold. The tour is dangerously close to passing the, the 20% threshold on the other side um, of the ledger. Um, absolute anarchy. You know, some estimates say if you put, if you Calculate the numbers that may leave the Tory party with one seat um, in the entire country. Um, my my, my, f- my favourite version of that was someone said there's there's one calculation which gives them three MPs, which would lead to the brilliant sitcom situation of a, a leader of the party, the chief, uh, the chief whip, desperately trying to control the one other MP left in the party. The and the thing is like that. That seemed like an outlier compared to the 20 uh, percentage points uh, leads we were seeing. But then we've had a flurry of polls today. They're around 30%. Like, this is utterly Armageddon. Like, you know, you did have polls like this at some points in the mid-90s. Everybody thought that these weren't possible now, that the changes in methodology meant that you basically couldn't get past 50% um, um, in an opinion poll, because it's just not realistic. Um, to p- just to put this in comparison, what a 33 percentage points lead is. New Labour's lead over the Tory party in 97, in the actual election, was 12 percentage points. So you're talking... Like, the Tory party got 30, 31%? No, it was just... Just 30. It was actually, like, 20... Yeah, because it, it went... Like, it was something that actually, like, 29.97 or something like that. So Tory party got 30% in 97, i.e. higher than what they're polling at the moment. I mean, Luke, you're the conservative amongst us. Sort of. I mean, I don't feel very enfranchised by this particular version of the Conservative Party, to be honest. What makes you of the polling? Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's catastrophic. And the thing is, they are probably stuck with her now because... It's never happened that you've changed Prime Minister twice in a single parliament. Uh, uh, a, a normal length parliament. A normal length parliament. Yeah, the wartime parliament doesn't really... It only kind of counts because it's such a freaky um, outlier. Um, 
And the, the thing is, as well, you were making this point, I think, on the previous podcast. Um, but I, you were, the more I think about it, the more I think you were absolutely right. Like, the scale of breach that this mini-budget represented from the 2019 manifesto is breathtaking. Um, yeah, so, so if I can just, sorry, just, if I could just, uh, I'm going to redouble that point and plug my DM article, which all people should read. <laughs> um, um, well, the last thing I need to, the last thing anybody needs to do is stroke your ego, Will. <laughs> No, stroke away. Or indeed, uh, stroke, or indeed stroke any part of you, to be honest. Hey, poor Will. But no, um, this was this was a point of my article. He stroked the top of his head. It feels like you're rubbing your feet now. <laughs> it fucking does as well. Uh, <laughs> um, the, I was thinking, sorry, I'm not... Sorry. Poor, poor, making bold jokes against poor Will. I have enough of that from when I'm talking to my son. Um, like I was make, I was, I was, I was playing around with him. And I was like, um, I can't go, go, go to joke of all. How about we swap? We, oh yeah, that's it. He was talking about his teeth, and like he takes a lot of attention on his teeth, and he makes one of how bad my teeth are. And I was like, oh, shall we swap teeth, William? And I was like, no, I don't want your teeth. And I was like, oh, go on. I'll throw in, I'll throw in swapping hair light, swapping hairs with you as well. And he was like, no, you've got no hair. Like, I'm like, no, that's not true. And he's like, yeah, but when you touch the top of your head, you just feel the skin. <laughs> like, yes, I know. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, no, this is one of my CTM article where, like, um, I, I describe it affectionately as a cut and shut article. Um, and this, this was, like, the way I pitched it. It wasn't me going off the reservation, but, like, the first half, is me basically making fun of Femi, you know, the uh, uh, Remainer uh, progressive activist, and, like, the fact that the progressive arguments for PR don't really make sense. It can't be a way to get the Tories out of office because Labour has to win under the current rules to implement PR. It's almost certainly not a way... No, it's not a way to keep the toys out of power forevermore, because as we see in Europe, quite right-wing parties can win power under PR. By the way, there was somebody on Twitter who tried to come at me over that, because I, I referenced uh, the Italian elections and the, uh, the League of Brothers victory. And they were like, well, actually, not PR. Actually... They won because of first past the post elements in the Italian electoral system. And I was like, well, A, okay, there are first past the post elements in the uh the lower house elections. It's still a no, it, it, there is still a proportional element to it. Two, they also they the right also won the Senate, which is entirely proportional. But then get a response. Then get a response. So you have that first of the article, which is basically just saying, like, this is not as big a... Oh, so then my third point was, is that actually... I I just think that... No, I just think people on the left are more likely to split into more parties than conservatives. Conservatives are, in the modern day, the people who vote conservative are more alike each other than is true of the left. 
and so they are they're gonna they are always gonna divide into fewer parties and i think that's quite consistent across europe no those parts of europe that still have left-wing parties which isn't all of them um at this point um but the second half of the article is basically saying the one thing pr would do is it would cut it would cut the leading part it would cut the prime minister's party down to size that you know like even in the coalition david cameron controlled 47 percent of the mps in parliament whereas you know the new italian and german governments the leading party controls just under 30 percent of the of the 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 equivalent of mps and you know you have to have a very clear program of government written up at the start of the coalition and if if you know if there is a change in the leading party where they want to make some big deviation from what was previously agreed the junior part the junior partners <clears throat> just have far more freedom than a random tory backbencher has you know they can try and do a deal with the other the, you know the the major opposition party form a new government they can call a fresh election like it, like it's one of these really weird ones. Like you, you talk to people who aren't interested in the, nits, the nitty gritty of politics. They're like, well, why don't Tory MPs just rebel? And even if they have to whip withdrawn, they stand as independents and they'll win. And it's like, no, guys, we went through this in 2019. They'll just lose. Um, so actually, the the point of the article when it comes down to it is, I increasingly like our system of government i think it's good to have strong decisive parties that are elected according to manifestos that have been presented to the public but that system only works if the parties actually think they're beholden to those manifestos and it's it's really arrogant and undemocratic that Truss and Kratang think they can just junk that manifesto and do the complete opposite of the implicit promise of that manifesto, which was that the Tory party recognised that uh, low taxes, high-quality public services, and deficit control were all equally important priorities and that they wouldn't prioritise uh, keeping taxes low or lowering taxes to the detriment of the other two things. And they certainly wouldn't do what the Tory party is doing now, where they completely blow fiscal rectitude um, 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 whilst cheering on higher interest rates. And, and, and if the Tory party is going to behave in this way, then maybe we do need PR so they or any other party can't behave in this way ever again. I mean, I, th I think it's a, I'm almost, I'm almost thinking, I'm almost wondering whether actually the, sol the solution to this might be that we, we come, we go back, we find something that we, we, we had saw in the, in the politics of the 18th century. And I feel I feel I feel bizarre saying this. That government. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you, 
Wait a minute, am I listening to myself speak? I, I know, right? Always, I, 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 I was... me who makes weird references to history. Just, 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 just run. Just let me, you know, which is perhaps, you know, it used to be that people who, you know, if you took a job with the crown, i.e. with the government, you had to face a by-election. I'm not saying that, you know, every time they reshuffle someone, they become foreign secretary. But, like, I think there is something of a case that if, that you know, there, ne- there needs to be something in the Constitution that triggers an automatic election with a change of prime minister. Because, I mean... What we, you know, in this case, it would actually have forced an inter- a degree of intellectual rigor from Liz Truss to actually have to set out her what she actually wants to do, because that, you know, because this is this is not the manifesto that people voted for in the winter of twenty nineteen. It just isn't. I mean, I, I, I disagree. Do you mean like an election for her constituency or for the overall? Yeah, no, I think there should be a general. I think uh, a general election. I think it's important to remember, Simon. We were all shouting against uh, at Boris Johnson when he was saying this stuff in June. Because if that was the case, Boris Johnson would still be prime minister. Because the Tory party well, wouldn't have wanted a general election. No, what actually has to be the case is that yes, you can change prime minister because. Prime Ministers have to step down. Prime Ministers uh, outserve out their usefulness. But the Prime Ministers, the new Prime Minister realises they are honour-bound to govern in line with the manifesto they were elected on. But the problem is in the British system, which is basically, in, I'm sorry, is basically in, it is in the sort of situation of having probably a majority of more than 50 where you haven't got what Liz Truss has at the moment, which is a party that clearly hates her. But if you've got a party that's broadly in favour of you and you've got a majority of more than 50, the UK is essentially an elective dictatorship. Oh, it you is. Know, that's, that's the problem, right? Because, you know, you say honour bound to, to follow the policies of the manifesto, but what... What mechanism would you well, no, use but that, but, but to make what, sure that, that the but, new prime minister does follow the? But that's the point. Rules? That's that's the point, Simon. That's why I use the phrase "on a bound." If you're well, on a, isn't a feature of British politics anymore. <laughs> well, it has to be. That's the only way the system. This is the point. This is the point I'm making. Our system works. It's a good a good chaps for your government, which is a dismissive way of putting it. It's mm. this idea of, you know, in The Godfather, we are all reasonable men. We do not have to talk as if we are lawyers. You know, like, there has to be a degree of trust and honour and shame. And we are not going to push everything to the maximum possible extent because then the whole system will break down. That, yes, that our, our governments have tremendous freedom to do what they want. But the reason we can tolerate them having that freedom, and I think it is beneficial to give them that freedom, because it means they have that freedom to use if there's a legitimate reason to do so. But the reason they have that freedom is that most times they don't use it. And again, like I, I just I will just go back to the point of if you made it that a change in prime minister led to a general election. Boris Johnson would still be Prime Minister, you would stop parliamentary parties dealing with Prime Ministers 
who were misbehaving. And I and I and I think we recognised um, when we're going through the whole thing with Boris Johnson that that was profoundly unhelpful. Like you didn't want you you know it is not helpful to actually allow the prime minister to threaten his own party with a general election uh, where, you know, where they would lose their seats. Uh, what do you think, Luke? No, I, I, I agree. I agree with you, Will. Um, and yeah, I just, I mean, I really don't, I really don't see how the, the sort of broadening this out, but I really don't see how the Conservative Party gets out of this mess. Because I think Liz Truss's government is holed beneath the waterline almost, you know, within a month of it taking office. But I also don't see... I really don't see how they get... I really don't see how they get rid of her as well. Like, I really don't think there's the appetite... I really don't think there's the appetite to mount yet another coup. What and do you think, if, Sam? And, you even, and even if they did, like, what credibility would a new prime minister have? I so I think the credibility question is an interesting one, but I also don't particularly think they care. Um, so that's the first on that one. That's the first point on that one. On the appetite, I like, obviously it is this. This, this is a situation which has developed not necessarily in the Conservative Party's, the Conservative Party's advantage. Um, and, like, it's, it's not... It's nobody... Normal, obviously, normally, a month after electing a new party leader, and this is not just, like, for the party in government, you know, if this was what was happening to the Liberal Democrats, this, they would be like, we really can't have another leader this quickly. But this is... I mean, if this carries on, if she car- if she continues to, you know, double down on this, if she continue, if and if the, I think if the polling, if the poll ratings fall consistently below twenty percent, which does, which sounds ridiculous, but doesn't feel completely out of the question at the moment, I think the men in grey suits are surely coming over the hill because. It's just unsustainable for a party to do that. Now, the, I'm re- the thing I'm reading this evening is that there are back channels opening up between Conservative backbenchers and the Labour Party to basically vote down quite large sections of this mini budget, basically to go to try almost to get it back, get this back on the road. But I mean, the reality is, if you're a if you're a, an MP and you're willing to vote down your party's financial measures i know it's not a budget so it's not it's probably not technically a confidence issue but i mean you are basically going well you're saying one of two things you're either saying i am willing to sacrifice my career because i think this is such a disaster or you're saying i think this person is so weak that i don't think i'm sacrificing my career at least not in the medium to long term so that's the first but in terms of appetite obviously normally no but I feel there's a Michael Howard situation coming along. And there are people going, oh, well, no one will want the job, you know, because the, the, the situation looks so dire and the election you would lead them into would be really bad. Let me tell you this much. 
there are a lot of people inside the in every party in Parliament, even inside the Greek, even inside the yes, the Liberal Democrats or the Greens or whatever. There are lots of people sitting there going, "Yeah, I think I could be Prime Minister." Oh, there's a chance I can be Prime Minister. Yeah, I'll, I'll take the chance. I'll take the shot. And whether it's Rishi Sunak or Michael Gove or oh, no, whoever it might be. This is, this is the thing, Sorry, It has to be Rishi Sunak. This is the really weird thing. If there was going to be a Michael Howard type scenario, it would have to be Rishi Sunak. Because say what you want about his leadership campaign, and you can say it a lot. He did warn against all this shit. Mm. It's, it's very rare in politics that, like, you can just, you can definitively and definitely say, I was on the right side, we've had this argument, and I was provably, demonstrably, inarguably right. See, and I think this is, just to, go to, just to build on Luke's point, um... I think there's a chance. There's a chance that if the, I mean, I don't think this is likely to happen. But the toys are able to get Sunak in now. You know, like literally by the end of the year, that they might actually end up in a stronger position because I think the danger with Sunak, if he had just won, was. He, he would have struggled to impose his preferred fiscal policy on the parliamentary party. Um, and and, and, and like the danger of Sunak for that is, is that because he really was against increasing the deficit, that would have led him down some really... If he felt he had to deliver tax cuts, that would have led to him like trying to do some really weird spending cuts, which would have been a disaster. Um... You would think, who knows, that most of the toy ride has been humbled by what a mess this has been. Um, not all, but most. So that if Sunak was to come in, he would have much more leeway to actually do the moderate tax rises that he wanted to do. Secondly, I think... This period has been a firebreak over that Johnson period, which I think now feels quite a long time ago. And so Sunak's role in it, you know, getting the fine, I think will be a lot will, will be feel a lot less politically salient. And he now has something he could define his premiership against. One of the issues always was with Sunak was that he was such an integral part of a failed Boris Johnson government that it wasn't clear how he could launch himself as something different. Whereas if he comes in now, it's like, well, that was some weird shit. <laughs> Let's never talk about this again. Talk about that again. Let's actually get things back on the road. So I, 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 as somebody who was who was not who is who is not Sunak's biggest fan, and I think all the all his weaknesses are still there, he feels like the answer to the problem the Tories have created themselves this past week. Um, but I do feel like you know he makes sense now, 
he may not make sense in nine months' time, or it might just be too late. Like I, th- I, I think, I, I, I do feel like trust probably goes amazingly soon, or she actually has a decent chance of somehow getting to fight the next election. Because I, I do think the danger is if she stays for much longer, she's just going to do so much damage to the Tory party. And again, I, I would just say to the Tory party, okay, this is a very extreme case, but you let Boris Johnson stay longer than he did, and it caused you no end of trouble. You let Theresa May stay longer than you should have, it caused you no end of trouble. You know, I, I always disagreed when people made this argument, but like, I think the the events of you know, the all all sorts of things that have happened in British politics over the past few years prove that David Cameron was right to quit on the day after the EU referendum. At some point, you no know, honor commands that you recognise you lost, you recognise you fucked up, and it's your time to go. This idea that I did what I thought was right and I'm willing to be unpopular and I must fix my own mistakes. It's like no. When you lose, you lose, and then you fuck off. Um, so yeah, I've, I if I was a toy party, I I I would get rid of her. Obviously, she has a chance to, you know, undo the damage at party conference. But I don't know, man. Like you, like I I feel, I I feel now because of the stuff that's happening elsewhere, the power, including what the Bank of England's doing. The pound is no longer as under pressure as it was at the beginning of the week. And I think that means <laughs> you're probably not going to have as contrite a uh, Liz Truss as you probably need to have one. Um, Sorry, the, the, the only reason that is true, though, is, is because markets are factoring in sharply increased interest rates. On probably spending cuts, and like there, there are like there are like rumors that they're not going to fully uprate benefits with inflation, or the the one you pointed out to me, well, that they're going to delay cap some capital spending, and it's like I'm just trying to picture the headlines. You cut benefits so that the richest people in the country could get a tax cut. Yeah, or, it's genuine. You're not, or you're not getting a new hospital or a new school so the richest people in the country can get a tax cut. It's a communications masterpiece. Well, we, and, and can we just say, like, when we say richest <laughs> people in the country, right? Like, it's the richest <laughs> of the rich. Like, we are... Um, actually, I don't know about you, Luke, but me me and you, Simon, we're... You, no, you are as well, aren't you, Luke? We're all top-rate taxpayers. Yeah. I mean, I'm um, not, but we'll move on from that. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry Simon. Sorry. Oh. No, don't worry. Anyway, it doesn't matter. That must be pretty brutal. <laughs> and, I actually, and, I, and I actually pay more than either of you. Oh, because you're in Scotland? Yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, of course. And... It's a bit different. But the point is, like, there is a way they did this. Because I was talking to a friend of mine who's a GP <laughs> yesterday. There's a way they do they do tax cuts for the rich. Which is they you no know, they reduce the top rate to thirty five p, or they increase the threshold so it's no longer forty thousand it's fifty thousand. Now that would still be wrong, but you'd be benefiting a lot more people because like I think wasn't it one estimate like this 
the abolishing the additional rate benefits 20,000 people. Something like, like a, that, yeah. It's a tiny number of people. Um, and I think most of the benefit goes to like 1,000 people. Like it's that concentrated. Um, and so like, it, yeah, it's, it's completely like the taps. It is, I am not somebody who, who brings morality into politics very often. Because I think I think people just have to recognize people do have different perspectives um, and and different priorities. But I, I'm sorry, I do not see how it is not fundamentally evil to give the richest twenty thousand people in our society a tax cut that they didn't ask for, they didn't expect. Many of them probably won't even benefit from it because of the the issues of interest rates, and to and like literally to pay for it because the costs are basically identical. To pay for that, you are not going to increase benefits in line with inflation. Like that is like that is so beyond the pale. Um, and like you know, I'm not the person who usually goes in for pensioner kicking. Um, but like the fact that they think no, the think that they, that they the way they may try and make it politically pal- palatable is to operate pensions, but not all of the benefits. It's like that's really gross. It's almost as if if you were if you were designing a sort of rubbish momentum satire of what would what would a Wicked, evil Tory government, do that's where you'd cut where you'd kind of yeah, end up with. Yeah, no, that that that's 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 a re- that's a really good point. That's a really good point, Simon. That is a really good way of putting it. It is every lazy, it is every lazy stereotypical, and for the most part, not true trope about about the Conservative Party. It's like Liz Truss wants to be the most yeah. Like Liz Truss wants to be that evil Tory party that didn't that was that only existed in the in the imagination of momentum activists. The I think the other thing is just go on to the deficit as well. Like you know, today we've had the announcement of the EU's windfall tax on energy companies, energy producers, and I really do think one of the issues you have is the vibes of this government. And like I know they're trying to now amend this by saying we're going to get spending under control. Really don't see how they can, because the government has been cut to the bone, and inflation will mean that even if you keep, even if you stick to, to the spending review, there'll be a lot of quite gnarly consequences for departmental budgets. But like, they... You know, they did the energy package, and no one disagrees with the. Well, actually, I kind of do disagree with it. But they did the energy package. One of the things we then talk about with Liz Truss's uh, local media interviews, she can't explain the policy properly. Like she's going around saying no one will spend, will pay more than uh, twenty five hundred for their energy bill. That is not the policy. The policy is is that they have fixed. The per no the, the unit price so the average family won't spend so the average household 
won't spend more than 2500 if you use more energy you will pay more than 2500 if you have a usually an unusually large household and an unusually large house if you if you have the heating on 24/7 you will spend more than 2500 it is not a fixed hard cap in that sense but you know the that energy package is not unusual it's very similar to what germany's doing but Germany is announcing new measures as pay-fors in terms of windfall taxes. Now, and you can be leery about those windfall taxes. But fundamentally, if the entire if the, if the entirety of the European Union is doing that, we could probably get away with doing a bit of it ourselves. Or we should think about other pay-fors because it means that our measures look more reckless because we're not even making an attempt to uh, pay to pay for it as we go along. Then you add in that mini budget. And again, like it has to be stressed. They're doing things like cutting duties. Like, like this is not pro growth tax cuts. This just feels like a government that wanted to get some cheap popularity by cutting taxes and massively misjudged. And the, the the point I wanted to make in terms of the investment zones, the enterprise zones, which to me didn't make much sense, I think, because like apparently there's going to be no limit on how many enterprise zones can be established. So like apparently this is a big argument that's, be, that's going on behind the scenes and the Treasury is desperately trying to get this trust to agree to limits, and she says no, have as many enterprise zones as we want, which, you know, which means that all those figures about, you know, about adding £200 billion onto the debt, add the £65 billion that's been added on by the Bank of England um, this week, then add on however much these enterprise zones are going to cost, but the point of these enterprise zones is not to target uh, growth at, in particular areas. It's to devolve the blame for all the supply-side reforms that they know they can't get through Parliament. You know, that's clearly what they're, they're setting this up for, that, you know, you basically go to these local authorities, like, look, if you want any help from us, you need to set yourself up as an enterprise zone, and in return for that, you get all these goodies in terms of, you know, relief on business rates, relief on personal taxation, yada, yada, yada. By the way, it is now the purge for, for like, development, um, for immigration, for whatever the case may be. And then when people shout at the government because, you know, Farvin Wood, has been turned into, you know, a factory, they'll go, oh, the local authority did it. Not nothing to do with us. Local authority did it. Yeah, but and, and you not, know what? It, 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 it did, the other way around. But it did it did work when it came to cutting public services. Yeah. Like they were able to actually convince a lot of people it wasn't their fault. The problem is though, um, Actually, no, I suppose this would work as well because obviously they'd be looking at 
a lot of labour areas to push this through. But I suppose a lot of those labour areas now have Tory councils. Anyway, sorry, you go on, Simon. Well, just my concern is that it's not going to be that Farthingwood gets a factory. It's that nothing, it makes it more likely that nothing will happen. Oh, uh, no, I agree. I, I agree. Yeah. But, but I think that's what they're trying to do. I think that's what the point of these enterprise zones is. Mm. Um, yes. Look, I, I know, I know we were going to talk about the even the uh, the only the most the more success, most electorally successful political leader of the week. I, um, actually, which guys, is Vladimir was... Putin. But I mean, it's a huge issue, and you know, amazingly, there's quite a lot to talk about when the British government is, is in total freefall. Actually, guys, I was going to say, do we want to do Ukraine? As a separate podcast, because we have been going on a while. Yes, let's finish by going around the room for for suggestion for what Liz Trust should do at party conference next week. I'll go first. I think she should come out to "You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet." Well, walk okay. So walk on. Is it so? Is it, so are you looking specifically for walk on music suggestions, or just like a general like any any suggestions? Stuff? Any suggestions? Because I think if she came out, you ain't you ain't seen nothing yet. Just that song choice would tank the pound. <laughs> yeah, the most powerful song in history. Um. I, well, yeah. What? What? Should, I mean, beyond just standing up and going. Sorry, chaps. Uh, yeah, that didn't work. And actually resigning on stage, um, which, you know, would be what? Um, what but more, what, I'm trying to think of something fun now. What should she do that would be fun, would be a mute, would be... Um, uh, what would be... Oh, obviously, um, I, th- I think the, ob- the obvious thing to do... Would be to make to to chain to ensure to um, save save every save save some businesses some money and allow people to pay for their um, pay for the stalls in US dollars. Um, <laughs> that that would feel like a really solid pro business move. What about you, Luke? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think um, I think she, I think she should go to. Um... She should go. She should take a leaf out of Boris Johnson's playbook and try and get Vladimir Zelensky to introduce her. Because it's kind of the one thing we can all agree on that the government is kind of doing a good job of. We support Ukraine. We I, like we get the entire Conservative Party conference should be moved to Maidan Square in Kiev. It's a nice square. To be fair, yeah. um, I did like so, Zelensky asking us for more money on Tuesday. On, I think it was Tuesday of this week. He's like, "Come on, mate, we've got stuff on. Don't ask us for money. Ask France. Ask Belgium. We're skins." But I so no. So I think so. It's in Birmingham, right? Yes. Yeah. I think that she should be introduced by Joe Lysett doing his di- thing he did on Laura Koonsberg because I think it's the only person I can imagine who would be who would make a positive who would be able to make a positive case for Liz Truss at this point by the way if you haven't seen it already it was doing around um you had a similar thing like that on Good Morning Football where they got like this British comedian in to talk about the NFL 
and he just started talking about how all um, NFL fans in the UK are like weirdos who live with their mum, and just started just kept making OJ jokes. <laughs> and, he, and, and he had the the immortal like like this American was talking to him, and it's brilliant because like Americans, they are such a polite people, and they're such a positive people. But you could tell that they were kind of freaking out inside, and they didn't know how to deal with him. And so, like, one of the Americans is trying to like get him to like be serious, and it's like you know. And what do you what, no what what do you think of you know, the the UK NFL fans? And um this comedian went like look, let me put it this way. If there was if no, where are you from? And this this guy's going, I'm from New York. So if if there was a guy in New York that was staying up until 3 a.m. every day to watch the county championship, you wouldn't <laughs> let him date your sister, would you? No, <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> and on that bombshell, I've been Will calling. He's been Luke Midup, and he's been Sam and Alvy. We will at some point talk about UK Ukraine. We will, Luke. Well, we promise. might. We might. We might want to see if they can, uh, if they want to buy some British government securities. Yeah, exactly. Later, everyone. Bye.